0: Good evening. It's good to have you here tonight. Praise God. It's come to my attention that we have a new group here today. Where's Aaron? There he is. Come on in. We have a Mr. and Mrs. here for the first time. I want to say uh, congratulations to Aaron and Alizé. They are now Mr. and Mrs. They have been married. And uh, I want to acknowledge that because here's why I want to acknowledge that. Hebrews 13 4 says this let, let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexual, immoral, and adulterous. That God honors marriage because marriage is something that He has instituted. Um, and that we as human beings who follow in the image of God ought to honor marriage um, the world today does not hold in regard marriage they can take it or leave it or try to use it for their own um, doing or their own um, for their own good but marriage doesn't come from man it comes from God And so marriage needs to be done. God has provided that relationship. And in fact, he describes his relationship with us in a family term. God has set the family there. He describes his relationship with his own son in family terms, father and son. He describes his relationship with us in family terms when we trust in Christ we become his children not until then when we trust in him we become his children and so this whole use of family is is God's language <clears throat> and so we want to um, we want to recognize who God is and what he's done so I just wanted to, to, to mention that tonight so that we can acknowledge and know that these two have joined together in marriage and that um, though we didn't have a part in celebrating that together with them um, it is a fact now and it is something that God honors and something that he recognizes and so his demands are placed on that marriage in our culture today we think we can do as we please we think we can marry as we please we have Two men who want to get married. Two women who want to get married. They don't call themselves whatever they want to call themselves. They think they're free to do that. They don't realize that God is the one who orchestrates and organizes and defines all of those things. And he said marriage is a good thing. But to do it in God's way and to do it under God's direction. <coughs> so I didn't want to ignore that with you. Um, um, I don't know if you knew that I knew... But I came to know and I just wanted to acknowledge that and to want to have an opportunity to pray for you and to pray with you. So let me just pause and pray right now. Father, we thank you. <coughs> we would pray um, for in the lives of those who are married here in in this um, in this group. We pray for our marriages. We pray, Lord, that you would bless our marriages, that you would um, bring together husbands and wives, first of all, to have a relationship with you so that they can know and trust you and have eternal life in you and then be rightly connected to each other. We pray this for Aaron, for Alizé. We would pray um, that they would honor you that they would trust you, that they would love you. It's only then that they can truly love each other in the way that you intend. And so we pray for them, and we pray for each other. We pray for those in this church. We pray for families. We pray uh, for men. We pray for boys. And we would pray that as our vision is to build men um, so that they take the proper role in their families, um, and so you've given us the opportunity to interact uh, with men, and we pray, Lord, that we will continue to do that, <coughs> um, even as after they are married, that we can interact to build them up to what you want them to be, and the place you hold for them in the home. This we pray for Aaron and for Alizé, for their relationship, in Jesus' name, Amen. I didn't know I'd be doing that when I came here tonight, but to just kind of allow the Holy Spirit to, to lead uh, where he wants to, to lead. Um, <clears throat> we've been talking about encouragement to pray, and the last week we looked at um, Psalm 2, and what we looked to was God's sovereignty over his, over all of creation. And the verse that comes to mind uh, in Psalm 2 is that um, why do the heathens rage? Why do the peoples rage against God? Don't they know that God has set things in order and he has set his son to rule over all things? And so it ends with that statement of kiss the son lest he be angry. In other words, give honor to Jesus Christ whom God has appointed to be Uh, Lord of all the earth. So I was reading um, in my um, just devotion during the week in Philippians chapter 2. So I'm going to refer you back there with that same thought that God has set his son to be Lord over all the earth. So Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 13 is the... um, is the context i won't get a chance to speak on all of that but that's the context i want to use philippians chapter 2 verse 5 i'm going to read that and then speak on a portion of it have this mind among yourselves which is yours in christ jesus who though he was in the form of god did not count equality with god a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to do, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. <clears throat> Several things I just want to bring to mind as we come together to pray. He says here, remember the example that Jesus has set before us so that we begin to think and to live like Jesus. Let this mind, verse 5, have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus. How did Jesus live? He lived in obedience to God. He lived in obedience to God. The the role that God had for him, put it this way, he said, I've come to do your will to the Father. I've come to do your will, to do what you have for me to do. And I'm completely committed to that will. He was so complete, completely committed to doing what God had for him to do that he was willing to step out of heaven, come down to earth, Become a human being and take that role all the way to an agonizing, painful death. And he did that. He obeyed God even to death. His obedience is what was needed. For our disobedience, he did what we couldn't do and what we were unable, (coughs) unable and unwilling to do. And he did for us what we don't deserve the benefit of, and that is, he obeyed God. We couldn't obey him, we weren't willing to obey him, but Christ obeyed in our place so that we could have the reward of obedience and that is peace with God and life with God. Disobedience came at a cost, the cost of Jesus' life. Disobedience has a great reward. It's something about obedience. If we're going to obey God, it's not easy to obey God. See, if obedience <laughs> obedience requires faith. Obedience requires that we recognize that that there is a reward or value in doing what God would have us to do. The reason why it requires faith is because that's not always rewarded here on earth. We obey God. You're not always going to have an immediate benefit from it here on earth. In fact, the opposite. You're gonna have there's a sacrifice for obeying God. Jesus lived out that sacrifice for being obedient to God. Oftentimes when we obey God, we suffer. Paul said in 2 Timothy um, 312, I think it is, those who desire to live godly will suffer persecution. That's what happens to the obedient in this life. We suffer. That's the momentary response of obedience. There's some suffering that goes along with it. But the long-term consequence of obedience is reward. Because it's long-term and not immediate, it takes faith to obey. It takes faith to decide to do what God would have us to do because it's not always more rewarded immediately. But the faith is rewarded because ultimately in eternity... There is a reward for obedience. We see Jesus' reward. It says, verse 9, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Is every knee bowing right now? Not at all. Not at all. We don't see knees bowing to Jesus. We see middle fingers pointed towards Jesus. Not honoring him at all. But there's coming a time when every knee will bow. In the future, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And he, the reason I read the next verse is because I wanted to see how that's connected to obedience. Therefore, he says, because of this, obey, obey, obey. And that obedience that we're challenged to do is, is, is the same as, as saying to us tonight. This is why you can live for God. This is why you pray to God, because you recognize that... Um, That prayer is only partially answered now. The obedience is only partially rewarded now. But in the future, we'll see the full answer to our prayer. In the future, we'll realize all of God's purpose and all of his plan. So be faithful now. So live out now. Pray faithfully now. Pray in faith. Pray trusting that God is going to bring about his purpose. Don't give up. So he says, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, obey. Work out your own salvation. In other words, live it out in your life. Live out obedience in your life. That is the purpose of God saving you, to to have that obedience lived out. And recognize it's God's power. Verse 13, it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You cannot please God. You cannot obey God apart from God saving and changing you and changing your heart. He's not talking about a moralistic do-gooder. He's talking about one who obeys God from a heart that has been changed and transformed by God. Let's remember our encouragement. God is in control. Jesus Christ will be honored. He has obeyed so that we can receive the reward of obedience and that's encouragement for us to continue on.
1: Good evening, saints. We're going to be continuing our meditation in the Gospel of John. And we can't forget that the Gospel of John was written so that we might believe. And we saw this understanding of belief kind of grow as we've gone through the Gospel of John. It started off talking about Jesus was the word. He's the communication of God. So we has to be believed if we are to say we believe God himself. It talks about Jesus standing out as the Lamb. This is the Lamb of God, right? And all kind of people are seeing him. We see in chapter 2, Jesus is to be believed, but he is not the one that we may want him to be all the time. He decides his own purpose and how he outworks his own purpose. We want him to prove everybody that he's God. And he's not always about them. He's not always about proving us right. He's about doing his will. So in chapter 3, Nicodemus came to Jesus. And Jesus confronted him with truth. Nicodemus had an agenda, but Jesus had an agenda for Nicodemus, that he would understand spiritual truth, that he would understand that he had to be born again, that in order to believe in Jesus, you got to become a brand new creature. And how is that possible without the work of God? Chapter 4, Jesus interacts with this woman from a nation that they've been having problems with for hundreds of years. she thinks she believes in a true religion and she's claiming it but her life reflects nothing of even the false religion that she claims and Jesus says I'm the water of life if you drink of this you will never thirst get into chapter 5 and he heals a man That an angel would heal him if he just touched the water first. But he had no way to even make that superstition come true. He was lame. He couldn't even walk. So how was he even going to fulfill his superstition? He couldn't. And Jesus healed him, but he healed him on the Sabbath day. And he showed himself to be equal with God. Because here's the thing, Jesus will offend you if you think that he's just a man got into chapter 6 where Jesus fed people and he said, you just coming after me because I fed you but you need to come to me and receive the bread where you will never hunger. Your fathers ate the manna and they're dead and that kind of had to offend them and he was purposefully stepping on their Jewish sensibilities by talking about eating his flesh and blood, talking about doing things that weren't clean. Making light of the manna that they held so highly. Ultimately, he was telling them, stop focusing on these physical things. You just tried to make me king. I'm not your political leader, I'm your God. And my people are not called to rule right now, they're called to suffer. different than what they wanted to hear. So then we get into chapter 7 with Jesus a little bit of his family interactions. It says after this Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of Booths was at hand so his brother said to him, leave here and go to Judea that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believe in him. Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I am not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, he also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, Where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. Some said, He is a good man. Others said, No, he is leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning what he has never studied? So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine at all, but he is who sent me. Anyone's will, if anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? crowd answered you have a demon who is seeking to kill you jesus answered i did one work and you all marvel at it moses gave you circumcision not that it's from moses but from the fathers are you circumcised a man on the Sabbath if on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision to it is the law of Moses may not be broken are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well you're not judged by appearances by judge by What's going on in this passage? What's going on? Okay, people hate God, my mom says. Okay, Jesus was definitely questioning established ways. does confront their hypocrisy. Because the thing they took the most pride in is what? Following the law, right? They put Moses up at the top. If you really look at it in its own way, they kind of worship Moses as his own little god, right? So they really love Moses. And don't get me wrong, I love Moses too. Moses is a great man. But, they didn't appear to be really listening to what Moses was saying. If you look at the whole Gospels, there's a lot of things that they break that are in the law of Moses that they shouldn't have been doing. Holding courts at night, that's not in the law of Moses. Not having two witnesses agree, that's not in the law of Moses. Crucifying somebody, really, that's not in the law of Moses. That's why the Romans had to do it. Right? If you look at Stephen, he got stoned. That's in the law. You could stone somebody. But they shouldn't have stoned Stephen either. So when you look at the law a lot is being said and we're going to later see as we go through in the next week we're going to see Nicodemus kind of confronts them with something that they're not following the law too but definitely they are hypocrites let's just talk about his interaction with his brothers first it says even his brothers did not believe in him and they you get the sense that they're goading him aren't they they're like hey get up man if you're all that go up there and show yourself it may seem contradictory that he said he wasn't going and then he went, but actually you gotta think about the fact that they were asking if he would go publicly, not if he would go at all. He had to go. The law said that every man had to go to Jerusalem three times a year. It was no choice about whether he had to go, would go or not. The question is whether he will be going openly or not. So once you understand that it takes away any contradiction you might think is in that passage. But he is being confronted by his brothers first to go. And he says something interesting to his brothers. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that his works are evil. Do Christians who speak only about love get hated? Do Christians who speak about acceptance get hated? You know, I saw some commercials and they have some things about Christians putting these commercials up and it just points out like the worst things about that churches have ever done. They say, Jesus would accept you. It's like, yeah, it's kind of like that. And I don't even know if the people who put those commercials up is necessarily, I would even disagree with them with a whole bunch of stuff. But the way they put that up there is shameful. And the reason it's shameful is because you're trying to elevate yourself by putting everybody else um, down the truth is that's an easy way for the world to accept you why because the world don't really care unless you start speaking about judgment that's when they get riled up right nobody cares if you say hey God loves everybody somebody does care if you say God loves men and women distinctly and you are a man and you are a woman and God created you that way and if you reject that you're rejecting God they don't want to hear that nobody want to hear hey I know you're going in this clinic Think that you're just removing some fetal tissue. That's a murder you're about to do. Nobody wanna hear that. Nobody wanna hear, hey, you shouldn't be having sex before marriage. Nobody wanna hear that. Right? That's what all my friends used to say, man. You must be gay to be a Christian, cause you ain't all these women out here, boy. You gonna be saved, not me. Well, I got things to do, right? It wasn't with that want to hear that, but that's the real message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, every prophet's message could be boiled down into that, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, how many prophets have a positive message in the scriptures, I really want you to show me one, on the weight, if you look at the weight of the scripture, it's heavy with the condemnation. And I know we try to gussy it up. And you know why we try to gussy it up and make it all positive? Because we think we smarter than God. Let's just be honest. We think we know how to package it better than God do. We can advertise it better than God do. We can fix people better than God do. We can reign people in better than God can. Oh, I know God. I think he all wise. Yeah, he created the world, but he ain't created the mind. Like, I know how to work it, right? That's what we think. So we're going to sit there and we're going to talk about love, this and that. And don't get me wrong, God's love is important. But the angels didn't stand up in front of God and say, love, love, love. They said, holy, holy, holy. We got to understand something. The Jews didn't get up there and say, hey, you know what? I love everybody. everybody. You know what? I'm going to die for all of you. You know all of those things would have been true. but He didn't say that. He said, you're not following this law that you put so highly. fronts us, whether we believe, and here's the thing that we have to question whether we believe, do we believe that God's message as God says it will be effective? And then all of a sudden, that trumpet says, Moses, come here. That's the God that I worship. I also worship the God who died on the cross with me. But I worship that God who said, when he was on that cross, it is finished. And he ripped the veil and I think those have to be married together. His love and his. Truth in his problem. We should never try to edit that Jesus, no matter how much it offends somebody else.